Um, I'm going to uh, open our message time this morning and put up our screen for this morning. This is an interesting uh, uh, title for today. If you're visiting uh, with us today, I want to just thank you for being here. Um, I hope you had a great Christmas time and a, and a rich season. Uh, I was thinking about it myself this past week and, and quite frankly, just recovering uh, this week. And, and just what a, what a blessing it is when the highlight of Christmas is Jesus. Amen? I mean, there's lots of stuff, right? There's lots of good stuff. There's lights. There's Christmas trees. There's that other guy in the red suit. There's all kinds of fun things. But when Jesus is the highlight of the season, his coming is the highlight, I would suggest to you there's nothing quite like it. So I'm sure most of you who are visiting here today, or even if you're regular members of the Rock Church, you're, you're, you're thinking, okay, it's like the, the last Sunday uh, of, the, of, the, of the year of 2019, woohoo. Uh, so probably it's a, it's a good idea to have a, a resolution message, right? Something about, you know, New Year's resolutions. Uh, you've come to the wrong place. <laughs> uh, just to let you know, um, actually what we've been doing for the last probably four or five years is actually doing a, a, a one or two part series that we title Resolution. Um, and then I kind of take apart the whole idea of making New Year's resolutions because none of us can keep them, right? I guess I'm going to join a gym. But anyway, uh, the, the, the thing that we actually did for the last four or five years is we would take the time to look back. Look back on the, the previous year in one of those messages and, and, and what God has done in us and amongst us and through us as a church. And then also maybe the, the next week, or in the same message if we're only doing one, dream forward. Like, that's what we used to always call it, is dream forward into the new year. And that's uh, something we've been doing for, as a church since we planted this church, is to, to dream about what Jesus has in mind, how he wants to build his church here in Squamish. And so I believe those times have been actually probably pretty encouraging for us. I know that most times when we, we look back at what God has done and we, and, and we see all the growth that's happening in people and in our church, uh, we, we're, we're pleased with what God has done. Not what we've done, but what He has done. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of that this Sunday and next. So we're going to be doing this Body Life in with the new two-part miniseries this week and next. And it's a result of this. I, I was praying throughout the week um, I had thought about doing the resolution thing again and just putting all that together. And then uh, I think it was in the midst of exhaustion <laughs> and uh, just praying about it that the Holy Spirit actually reminded me of a series we did five years ago. And it was called Body Life. And it was a, like a five-part series. And it was quite in-depth about the whole thing. And he really put it on my heart that uh, that's what I wanted to do or I thought would be helpful for you and I uh, today and also next Sunday. And so I want to start off by giving a little bit of my own background and story. Most of you who are people of The Rock or been at The Rock Church for a few years, you will know that I was raised uh, in the Catholic Church in Toronto. I was raised Catholic as a result of my, my father promising the Catholic Church that they would raise me Catholic so that my mother could be married in the Catholic Church. You know, my dad was of, really of no faith at that time anyway. So, I mean, I, I went to Catholic grade school I went to St. jean Brebeuf uh, Catholic Boys' School in the north part of Toronto for five years, and that's not because I failed once. That's because they went to grade 13 in Ontario, right? And it was awesome. We wore blazers and ties and, and, and uh, gray flannels, and uh, 
Right, we were Catholic boys. I, I was also an altar boy during that, that time and learned the Latin mass, you know, and rang the bells and all the rest of it, got the T-shirt, it was awesome. And I just want to make sure you understand that being an altar boy doesn't necessarily relate to being a good boy. Okay? Just, just want you to be aware of that. Um, at the age of 23, um, I had obviously left Bray Buff and I was trying to figure out what I was going to be doing with my life. Um, and I had been part of a rock and roll band in Toronto, uh, long hair, uh, involved in the kind of things that, that, that people who were into rock and roll and long hair did in the 60s. And uh, it was an amazing time in the sense that um, I was certainly a little bit on the rebellious side, but through a, an amazing series of events, at 23 years of age, came to true saving faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And it's a long story. I don't have time to get into it with this morning. But the reason why I tell you that is because up until the day, actually it was two weeks before I placed my faith in Christ, I went to, for the first time, a Protestant church in downtown Toronto. Never been in one before. I, I, like, I'd never been. It was a Catholic church, right? And so I went to this Protestant church. And, and I got to tell you, for the, it was strange for me because for the first time in my life, I first of all saw men who had on suits and ties or just dressed normally opening the Bible, reading the Bible, and proclaiming the gospel. Never heard that before. I was quite taken aback by that. I was surprised. I was greatly encouraged. Within two weeks of going to that church, I realized I needed to pray. I'd known about Jesus all my life. I knew who He was. I just didn't know Him. And more importantly, He didn't really know me as he did on that day when I gave my life to him, and actually he took it, which is a better way I think of looking at it. The Lord put on my heart two things at the age of 23, two things, clearly at that point in time that I look back on and have remained part of my life since that day. Number one was the Word, the Bible. I couldn't get enough of it. Janice got me a, a big old King James version of the Bible. It was awesome, red letter edition, right? I, I devoured that thing. I only read the red letters for two years because I think those are Jesus' words, most important, right? And then I figured out, no, the black letters are important too. And it was amazing. Then I started buying commentaries because I just, I couldn't believe it. I, I, like this book, it just became alive. But one of the other things that God put on my heart at that time is the subject called ecclesiology, which is the knowledge or understanding the church, how the church works and functions. Because you see, for me, as a Catholic, it was a big deal. And I'm not trying to knock the Catholic Church, but I knew how the Catholic Church worked and how it functioned. Had some questions, for sure. But I had no idea how this Protestant thing worked. And for me, it was like, it was a little bit loosey-goosey, okay? Like, to be honest with you, at first, like, people would get up and pray and do things, and, and people would speak who I didn't know, and different speakers, and, and they, you know, it wasn't the same thing. There wasn't an altar, Right? It wasn't an altar, which is really a good thing, actually. So I needed to understand this thing and, and the structure of it and um, how it operated. It was really important to me. So it's actually been a 40-year uh, subject for me of study, of understanding uh, what it means to be the church and how it should function. And I'm not saying I'm an expert in that. Don't, uh, please mis don't misunderstand me. But it's been really, I've given my, 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 much of my life to understanding that and actually at one point in time was spending time uh, teaching in churches about biblical eldership and about uh, the formation of the church and, and how things should look, and also at Acts Seminary uh, in Langley. And so it's been just a huge part of my life trying to understand this thing called 
church. Along the way, at least uh, for the first 15 years, and despite learning much about the history of the church since the Reformation, and from that time with this group, I began to see some things as I went into history and looked at the Reformation, which is the time in history where a bunch of people, monks and a few other Catholic priests, broke away from the Catholic church. And the Protestant church, the protest movement, right, the protest movement, was born. And all these churches started being established. And what I also noticed, though, in history was something very surprising. If you go back and look at it, it it didn't take long. It took about 10, 15, 20 years max before people were dividing. And there was this denomination and then that denomination. And then before you know it, there's 50, there's 100 denominations. And they've all got very distinct ways of how you should gather and how you should do church. And we're right and they're wrong, right? These kind of things. And I got really disappointed. It was after 15, 20 years I kept seeing this. And I'd be going to different churches, Janice and I, and, and you know, like mostly Baptist, Baptist, whatever, different kinds of churches. And I, I got a little discouraged, to be honest with you. Because it started to remind me a little bit of Catholicism. And I got discouraged. And then I read a book <laughs> that gave me incredible hope. And, and I know that this book also gave hope to an awful lot of other pastors and dreamers about the church, church planters in particular. And it's a book that was written by a man by the name of Ray Stedman. Most of you won't know him. He was uh, the pastor of Pensacola Bible Church in Southern California for 40 years. Great pastor, really good preacher, um, amazing author, Bible teacher in seminaries and colleges and so forth. Uh, And he wrote the book called Body Life. And I remember reading that book and just being blown away by it. The title of the book today, if you go on Amazon to buy it, and you should, it's an awesome book. The title is Body Life, the book that inspired a return to the church's real meaning and mission. That's actually the title that the book has assumed based on all of the people who've loved it and learned and been blessed by it, like myself. The original title that Ray Stedman gave to the book was a little bit more humble. The original title is Body Life, The Church Comes Alive. And so I remember uh, reading that book and it was almost on every page. You ever read books like that about theology or about God or uh, about anything related to that? And it's like almost every page there's an aha. It's like a light bulb. You say, ah, wow, it's amazing. Now, now I know it's, it's, it's not the Word of God, but here's the thing. The most remarkable thing about that book, if you do read it and get it, and I would encourage you to do so, is the pennies were dropping repeatedly for me because of this. It was based on the Word of God. Solely. Everything that he wrote about and taught was about and coming from the Word of God. And what Ray did in that book and what we've been trying to do as a church is basically this. He he went back to the beginning where the church began to when Jesus originally said to Peter, you remember that? Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, which is exactly what we did when we planted the rock church, right? That's where we got our name. Is from that actual passage in that verse, Matthew 16, 18. There's a great quote that comes from the book that summarizes well what body life is about. I thought about it this morning. I didn't have time to do it. I should probably put this back up for later as we conclude. But I'm going to put the quote from Ray Stedman's book on screen for you right now. And I just want you to meditate on this as I read it for you. He said this and wrote in his book, Body Life, the church is a living organism. Man. 
When I heard that, the first time I heard that, like 19, I don't know when I read that, 1990, maybe 92, and it was like organism versus organization. Simple. <laughs> Very important. In the physical body, the hand moves when the brain says so. So too, the members of Jesus' spiritual body takes direction from him as our head. Jesus gives each member gifts and talents, making himself alive within his church. He equips his people to love one another and to serve in unity his kingdom. This is body life. So for the purposes of this message today, and as we rediscover body life as a church, let's start by doing this. Let's start by defining church. Now, I know for some of you uh, who are rockers, you've been around, uh, we've been over this before. And so I, I want to encourage you that uh, this might be uh, just a refresher for you, but I hope it will be also refreshing to you. It's important that we have a strong foundation as we look forward into the new year, into 2020, I believe, as a church, and what the Lord has for us as we live on mission with Him and each other. So Jesus was certainly in the eyes of all of those who heard Him in the day. He was a radical. To the religious leaders of the day, he was like, what is he doing? It seemed like everything he said was completely the opposite to what they believed and what they were practicing. It was upside down the way that he behaved and the way that he spoke. It was clear that Jesus was announcing something new, something very new from the religion that the Jewish people had turned their faith into. So everything he said, and as I say, it was upside down. It was, it was different from the way that they did church or synagogue or temple, for that matter, and how ultimately to please God, because that was what they thought was the objective. The objective is the things that we need to do and the way that we do them are really important because if we don't do them right, we won't be pleasing God. That's religion. So you're all familiar with how Jesus announced this newest thing, right? You're all familiar with it. Uh, he announced it to Peter and the apostles, and I've already mentioned it, when he said these words. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So this is the first time when he's speaking to the disciples that he uses the word church. And, and, and immediately at that time, they would have, at least in the language that was being spoken, which was probably Aramaic, they would have understood this to be not the same thing as their temple life as their Jewish faith. So this statement, of course, you remember, immediately followed after Jesus had asked two really important questions. He pulled his disciples aside after about a year and a half of ministry and preaching and teaching and raising the dead and healing everybody and all these amazing miracles, and he asked them this important question, who do people say that I am? Well, you remember the, the disciples in Matthew chapter 16 go, well, they think you're like Elijah resurrected or a, a new prophet, you're a wise teacher, you're these kind of things. That's what people were saying about him and wondering about him. But then Jesus does that really important thing by asking the next question, which is the question that every one of us needs to answer or has answered, hopefully. And he turns to the disciples and says, but who do you say that I am? He personalizes it. He personalizes it. It's the answer that we all have to make and we have to give. And so the question is, was Jesus just a man? If you're going to answer that question, was he just a man or a good and wise teacher, a wise prophet, or 
Is he who Peter confesses him to be? Peter gets it right. First time in a while, he just blurts it out. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're Emmanuel, God in the flesh. You are him, the Messiah. And then Jesus says, based on that confession, I will build my church. The Greek word, of course, is the word ekklesia. It's a great word. I like saying it. It's where we get ecclesiology from, right? It's the Greek word ekklesia. And again, some may know its meaning, which is literally this. The literal meaning of the Greek word is a gathering of called out people or called out ones. Again, the, the Jewish year would have heard that in that day going, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we have a gathering of people. It, 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 it's called us, the Jewish people, and we have a place. It's called the temple, right? Or the synagogue. That's where we do these things. What are you doing here, Jesus? So it's a long uh, uh, explanation or translation, I understand, but maybe a few short form would be this. Ecclesia is literally an assembly or a gathering or a congregation, a group of people who congregate together. So a little history is also important. In the 1500s, there was a man by the name of William Tyndale, amazing individual. He wrote the first English translation of the Bible from the Hebrew and the Greek. So he took the the original languages, the Hebrew and the Greek, and he wrote an English translation, the first ever written. This is back in the 1500s, late 1400s, 1500s. You know what his reward for that was? Hmm. Number one, he was called a heretic. And number two, he was burned at the stake. What? (laughs) Well, for these reasons, and and, and the people who did that, of course, were the, the, the Holy Roman Catholic Church leaders did that. The reason was this. Number one, you've taken the sacred texts that are only explainable by us sacred men, and you've given it into the hands of the people? That was number one reason. That was the first reason. But the second reason was even more bizarre. He had changed the word for church to congregation. Now, that has to be explained as well, I guess, because, well, where did did the word church actually come from? Well, there was a translation of the Bible that had been spreading and been given to people as well in, in those days, but it was in German. And the word that was used in the German language to translate from ecclesia was the word, I'm going to pronounce it terribly if you're German, so please forgive me, okay? Because I'm not German, okay? Eins, zwei, drei, sufra, that's all I know. Um, Kirsche. It's spelled K-I-R-C-H-E. That's literally the reason why we have the word church in our Bibles today. What does that word mean in the German? This is key. It means... House of the Lord. That's not what ecclesia means. So there's a misunderstanding there. Even And, and listen, how many people who are, are far from God or are not attending church today think that the church is the house of the Lord? It's a sacred place. That might be the reason why even some of you here today might believe that and think that. So that's actually where it came from, and that's why we have the word church in our Bibles today. Then, then you put that together with the words that Jesus actually used, I will build, right? When he says, I will build, it sounds like, well, it's a building, right? We're going to build a place. It's going to be a sanctuary. Interesting fact, look through the whole New Testament. You will not find any, any 
directions or plans for how to build a place of worship like you did in the Old Testament? Zero. None. Test me on it, would you? (laughs) Try. Because there are no instructions in the New Testament. There certainly was in the Old Testament. And so it makes sense why people today, as I said, think of church. They think of a building, a place, or an event. it's, It's kind of how it's been presented, hasn't it? The question we've been asking as a church is, is that actually what Jesus had in mind? And I'll follow that up with the question, why is it important, Glenn, pastor? Are we trying to figure out how to do it right and therefore we're righter than anyone else? No. We want to know what Jesus had in mind because we want to live as followers of Christ, on mission with Christ, to make Him known and make disciples who make disciples. It's just pretty simple. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, before we go forward, we actually need to go back even further some more and look at something that I referred to in our original series as the temple models. There are actually three different temple models. Bear with me. Hang with me. It's going to get good at some point. Tie it all together, I hope. First, there are the physical temples that I've been kind of alluding to, right? There was the temple in Jerusalem that the Jews trusted in and went to meet God because God was actually there, right? He was, in the ta- he was there. The presence of God was there. So that's why they believed in that particular temple. And we have those today too if we think of church buildings as sacred places where sacred or at least sanctified men read from sacred texts, right? We, we could also believe that. But then there's the second temple model that arrived with Jesus Christ, in which we see Jesus making all things new. And he blew the Jewish leaders' minds when he said these words. He's standing outside the temple in Jerusalem, this big, beautiful, wonderful place of worship. And Jesus said this, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jewish leaders said to him, (laughs) are you okay? Well, actually, they said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? There's a lot of sarcasm in that. Like, really, dude? You think you can do that? John, who recorded these words, went on to say this. But he, Jesus, was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Wow. Obviously, until he has died and risen again, this doesn't make a lot of sense. But then, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it did. So the material building, listen, gave way to the physical body of Jesus. That's what we see in the Bible. So there's the first, yes, physical temple, sacred place, but then that gives way to the body of Christ, right? And we also know that the first temple actually was destroyed in 70 AD, never to be built again. Well, read the book of Revelation. It's coming. But never to be built again. But listen, the temple of the body of Jesus was also destroyed, wasn't it? But raised on the third day, and he lives forever more. So now the question is, we've got two temple models. The question today is, wait a second, if Jesus' body lives forever more today, where? 
in heaven? Well, yes. <laughs> Jesus is a man for eternity, and so yes, he has a glorified body physically. He's God, and yes, he's there, right? Where does the body of Christ live today, do you think? In sacred buildings, in temples? No. So yes, thirdly, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, we learn this. We are the temples. Individually, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in us, and we are now temples of the Holy Spirit. We are the body of Christ, members of His body. An incredible and true metaphor that describes exactly who we are and what the church is. I have a series of scriptures that I want to read for you to back this up (laughs) and just give some comment to them before we conclude today. This will be remarkably brief. The Apostle Paul, again, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and and they, they were all getting this, and so he's teaching the church in Corinth to get this to truly understand who they now are. I want you to notice in the first sets of verses that I'm going to show you, it's all about you and me. It's all about us individually that Paul is writing to and trying to help us understand this great mystery, which is incredible. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17 says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. In chapter 6, he says, or do you not know, again, it's like we're clueless, but he's instructing and teaching, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own anymore. For you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We're going to look into that much more next week. He goes on in Romans chapter 12, and he he says these words, and I'm just going to read the first part, and then I'll put the last part on screen. So listen, now we're moving a little bit from the you to the us. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 begins with, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself or herself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Good wisdom. Then he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of of one another. Can't tell you how many times when we offer a membership class here at the Rock Church, people say to me, there's no such thing in the Bible. Just thought I'd make that comment right there. It's a metaphor, yes, but we are are a body, and we are members of this body, and we need every member of this body to be functioning as a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's more or less, what Paul's getting across. But also, there's a unity in that body. We are one body. He, he even speaks about it even further in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, 
Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This unity thing is all over the text and the story. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. I often say this to people that, you know, the pastor, the preacher is just the talking head. Right? We're just, I'm just one of this body, and this body cannot be what it's supposed to be as the church if every member is not doing its part. Let me back that up for you. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in chapter 4 in Ephesians when we go into our Gifts of God series in two weeks. This is just after Paul has, has talked about the gifts that Jesus gives to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the shepherds, the teachers, and, and, and what their job description is. They are to equip the members for the work of ministry. So it's, it's an all-person, every-member ministry is what the church is. And he concludes with these wonderful words in verses 15 and 16. Rather, rather than being divisive, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is, please look at those words, working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what Jesus was getting at when he said, I will build my gathering of called out ones. It's not a building. In with the new. (laughs) We have a new year coming ahead of us. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. Everything that Jesus came to say and do was new to everyone in that day. And I would suggest maybe to some of you here today, as you're hearing some of this, you might be like, I I never heard that before like that. It's new. This temple thing was a big part of that. The material, uh, yes, material temples were to end and be replaced by this new thing. So what does these or what did these first phase temples look like? Well, as I've already alluded to, they looked like sacred places, sacred texts, led by sacred men, apparently, with a bunch of sincere followers. That's what they looked like. Every major religion and pagan religion today looks exactly like that. Every major religion has its sacred texts and its sacred men and its sacred places. So how about for some of us today as followers of Christ? Think about this. Have you ever been to uh, what some might consider a sacred place? St. Peter's Basilica, right? Awesome cathedrals, beautiful places. Ever walked into those places and been like, I think Jesus walked here. Ever walked into those sanctuaries and all of a sudden started to whisper, why are we doing that? Do you think? Can you hear me? <laughs> right? But I, I, we used to... Anyway, this is what we do. Or, for example, the Muslim would be the Hajj in Mecca, right? Friends, according to the Word of God, hear me. According to the Word of God, according to Jesus, there are no sacred places on this earth. God does not live or dwell there. 
at all. The truth is, and this is going to be shocking for some of you, but the truth is, according to the Scripture, the most holy and sacred places on this earth are potentially, hopefully, sitting right beside you. And your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. I remember when we originally did the series, I said, the, the only sacred ground in the theater over at Eagle Eye where we were is right below your seat that you're currently sitting in or below my feet. And certain people were thinking, like, you're, you're, well, if we have the Holy Spirit, that's true. So now imagine, imagine this. What would change about our understanding of the church, about body life, and your place in it if we really, really got this as a church? What would change, do you think? You know, if Sunday morning is not just a, a box that I check and I show up and I go, did it, done it. Went to this sacred place, went through the sacred rituals, sang the sacred songs, heard the sacred text, sacred guy apparently up front expounding it for me. Got a little bit of holiness and righteousness. It rubbed off on me. I'm good for the week. <laughs> that would not be it, would it? Well, the model or the building in which we gather would not matter as much to us, would it? It wouldn't. When we planted this church, the Rock Church, this was part of the vision that God put on my heart and our heart as leaders was to be in a place like this. Why? Because it's cool, funky, it's a coffee shop? No, (laughs) not at all. Why? Because it's open to the street and to the public. It's open to the street. So we as a church have concluded this, and I, I would hope uh, at this point many of you could quote it, and not just because you've, you've heard me say it so many times, but because you actually believe it and live it out as a church. And this is my hope for all of you who are new with us that you will understand this also going into the new year. We believe this. The church is not a building, a place, or an event. It's us. For better or worse, (laughs) it's us. We are the church. As I exhorted us uh, during the the, the Rock Church uh, the conclusion of the message that I gave uh, at our 10th anniversary, um, last September 29th was our 10th anniversary as a church, and we were back at Eagle Eye for that. I concluded, uh, and, and, and my heart was, I, I just wanted us, I asked us as a church that for this next decade, beginning in 2020, uh, that, that, we, that we, we, we give ourselves to two things, essentially which we've been called to from day one. And that is that, number one, we hold the mission in a closed hand. We hold the mission of the church in a closed hand. What's that mission? Make Jesus known. Go and make disciples who make disciples, which Jesus told us. We, don't, we preach the word. We proclaim the word of God faithfully as we can. We live it out as faithfully as we can. We call each other to it as faithfully as we can. We hold that in a tight hand. But what do we hold in an open hand? The model. How we do this. How we gather. The liturgy. Hold it in an open hand. And you know, when you think about it, that's actually the error that creeps into most churches usually, and it usually leads to them slowly dying, doesn't it? It, Those are the churches who use the phrase, this is the way we do things here. (laughs) This is the way we've always done things. Or why don't you do the thing the way we did these things? We want to avoid that. (laughs) We desperately want to avoid that. And to conclude then, we all know this as the Rock Church, don't we? We know what the mission is. I've just alluded to it, but let me give it to you one more time. It's actually on our website. 
we, the Rock Church, exist. Our mission, simply, is to make Jesus known. Make Jesus known. Make the gospel known. Here in Squamish, first of all, and we accomplish that by following his command, which is to make disciples who make disciples. It's that simple. That's who we are as a church. We, we call everyone who's part of the Rock Church to three things. And if you're new at the Rock Church, here's the call. We call you to three things. We, we call people to faithfully attend Sunday gatherings. Make it a priority to gather with us as the church on Sunday mornings. A priority. When I say faithfully, here's what I mean by that. More often than not. <laughs> there are sick Sundays. There are work Sundays. There are travel vacation Sundays. More often than not. 75, 85% of the time. Just giving you a, an approximation. Faithfully. Number two, faithfully attend a missional community group so that we can become family and love one another truly and be about making disciples who make disciples. And thirdly, to faithfully give and serve in the church. All these things, Ray Stedman would say, are body life. I'm going to conclude with some look back in a second, but I want to make a, a really important statement. Please take it in the right heart and way. If you're not faithfully attending church gatherings on Sunday, faithfully attending missional community group, and faithfully giving and serving in the church, then you're not part of the church. We both suffer, if that's the case. You suffer, but we suffer because the body needs you. Every joint, every member, every limb, and particularly those who understand who their gifts are, what their gifts are and are using them. In conclusion, let me conclude with a few observations as we look back over the past year and ask this question. How are we doing? I hope you find this encouraging. A few things. Number one, most of you, or many of you, will know that we set our smartphones, mine's at the back there, uh, to uh, go off at 10.02 every day so that we are reminded to pray Luke 10.2 every day. What is Luke 10.2 every day? That we pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers into this harvest to co-labor with us as a church. We've been doing that for several years now, and we've been really praying hard that way in the last two or three years. If you're new here with us in the last 12 months, you are an answer to that prayer. <laughs> but that prayer is also about, give us a harvest, Lord. You prepare the hearts. You prepare the harvest. We don't save anyone. Brilliant sermons that rarely occur don't save anyone. Your witness and testimony doesn't save anyone. It's part of the watering and the, and the soil work that we do. God does the increase. Amen? Amen? That's why we pray to Him. And He's been answering that in this past year, last past two years, each year, baptisms, more baptisms, people placing their faith in Jesus, more babies being born. It's awesome. It's a wonderful thing. You're doing really well. Number two is this, faithfully gathering on Sunday mornings, yes, we're doing well. We're doing well. And, and let me encourage you with this. It's about, listen, it's not just about showing up to get fed, right? It's showing up for one another. It's showing up for the visitors and the guests. It's being a witness and a testimony that we believe in Jesus. 
And we love him so much we want to come and sing praises to him and, and sit under the teaching of his word and instruct children and love one another. We've been doing that more and more. So many people serving in our church. We need more. <laughs> we need more because this church is growing. Missional community groups are doing really, really well. I, ha- I have to encourage you, again, you heard me say it a little earlier, if you're, if you're not in a missional community group, you need to be in one. That's where we grow together as family. And we've been doing that. We, we accomplished a number of things in the past year. We sent another team, a smaller one this year, but another team to Mexico to help build a two-room school for kids down there and support that ministry. It was awesome. We have Young Life here on Wednesday nights and Friday nights led by Ali and by Dustin and others in our community and from our church, uh, Karina and others. And guess where they are today, this morning? Driving 14 teens from Squamish to Rockbridge Canyon up near Princeton for New Year's. We should pray for them right now. <laughs> but that's an awesome ministry that's happening here for um, um, junior high and high school kids in our community who do not know Jesus. It's amazing. Our Sunday school is exploding. We have so many people in our church that are serving. We need more of you to help. 40 to 50 kids some Sundays. It's awesome. <laughs> but we need help and it's an amazing ministry. Women's DNA that, that Janice has set up and has been living, Civ, uh, serving and giving in our church, welcoming, greeting. People comment to me all the time who are new to our church, this church exudes love and a welcoming spirit. We're doing well. We're doing really well. We have caring for the sick and for the dying in this past year. It's been a tough year, tough years on that level, but we've been, we've been part of that, and that's what the church does. We care for the sick and for the dying. We have meal trains because we have so many babies and other surgeries and things going on. We have men's prayer, amazing things. Two things finally. For the third year in a row, it looks like still a few days left. It's at the back there, that jar, by the way. We're going to end up with a surplus again this year from the giving of sacrificial in many cases and regular and faithful givers to the ministry of this church. And it's not just to the, this church so we can pay the bills and operators and function as a church, but the money that we send out to, like Young Life, but to other ministries and missions around the world. Finally, I, I personally see it. I know some of us sometimes get a little frustrated and discouraged, but spiritual growth, spiritual growth. A number of people um, who have been discipled by others in our church and, and are, are digging into God's Word on their own in their home through devotions, through reading through the Bible in a year, people are growing in their faith. It's been a good year. I hope it's been a good year for you. And more importantly, I'm really looking forward to next year and next week as we dream forward. So let's continue doing that next week to discover body life more deeply and to dream together about 20 to 20, to 2020. Lord, what, what do you have for us? We need a new building. We're praying about that because our church is growing so much. How will you provide? It's going to be exciting to watch him do it, but it's also going to be exciting to do it together as the body of Jesus Christ. Pray with me, would you?